0: Everybody is in recovery or should get curious about how they can be in recovery from something.
1: Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy... I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling one thing holds true throughout it all you can't juggle the chaos without smiling at least a little bit well, welcome to another episode of the podcast uh, so glad you have come back to uh, listen to another awesome episode and appreciate your support I have a wonderful guest here today that I'm excited to uh, bring to you. And I think just such, not that all my podcasts aren't relevant to today, but really a lot of the things that Michelle and I are going to talk about, I think are so relevant to today because of what's happened the last couple of years. And I think that you can um, all, many of you can relate to this. Um, Michelle Hillier is the founder of Breath and Fire, which is a wonderful wellness program that really looks at, um, the things that are holding us back and just ways that we can truly be who we want to be. So, um, Michelle, thank you for joining me today in the midst of your uh, little bit of a vacation. And, um, I appreciate you coming with me today and, uh, yeah, I'm excited for us to chat.
0: I am too. Yeah. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to share and see what, what we can come up with today together. It's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, Again, I always start my podcast, if it's appropriate, just with kind of telling the story of how you got to where you're at today. And, um, you know, as we talked a little bit before, just that idea that life was going on for you and um, as many, you know, as it does for many of us. And we kind of get caught into work and mom and family and life. And we kind of perhaps forget a little bit about ourselves or kind of lose ourselves or we start doing things or having behaviors that are just um, kind of numbing out those feelings of stress or life or things like that. And then this wonderful pandemic that hit um, (laughs) kind of accelerated or accentuated a lot of those things too. So I'd love for you to just talk again about that, a bit of your story coming up to where you're at today that kind of led you to um, kind of a bit of a breaking point. Mm -hmm. Just your story as that Um, And again, as I always say, share what you feel comfortable with, what you feel is most um, appropriate for us today. But I'd love to have you start there.
0: My pleasure. Yeah, this. I mean, I I think when I think about my story, it's like, do I start when I was born? Do I start when I it's a tough one to, like, get my head around, but I'll do my best to concisely sort of share where I got to, you know, before we got hit with COVID, the pandemic, and then where I'm at now two years later. So I guess I'll start with where how I feel now. I finally feel like, I, like my authentic self again. And I haven't felt like this probably since I was 24 years old. And I say that number specifically because I take myself back to a moment where I was working as a dancer on a cruise ship for one year, traveling the Caribbean, and I had no husband and no kids and no mortgage. And really no responsibilities and I, I had this like anything is possible feeling in my life and I really felt like myself I was doing the work I, I love to do which was moving and, and sharing that with people and meeting people from around the world my eyes were opening to you know deeper sense of compassion and empathy and I I was just really I was myself and then fast forward you know the next 25 years it got to where I am now and I'm finally able to feel that again but it came with a lot of adversity and really, it came with um, during the pandemic had having to be, as I like to say, made, pretty much burned my house down to find home. So I had to be cracked wide open to get access to, you know, recovery tools and, and get to me to where I am. So I, I guess I'll start with um my childhood was was, you know, typical. It was fun. It was it was like, I had great parents. I've been product of adoption. So I, I didn't look like anybody, but I fit in. With a ton of love, family was around me all the time, and I was uh, I was like their little gift. I was that's that was the message I was received by them all the time that I was I was their their gift because they couldn't have children, so um, I got on stage quite quickly. My mom was a performer, so she got me into dance and singing, and I was a natural and it, it worked, and I I I you know excelled at that, and I really felt. I got a lot of love and attention when I was on stage. So that I'm sharing that now because it kind of does play a role in my my future self and what Mm -hmm. what I lived in for 25 years before before coming to my realization now. Um, You know, I went to university and then uh, worked as a dancer for many years. So I spent time sort of pursuing my muse, my my craft, which I loved, but I was always working uh, the hours of the rest of the world. So I didn't like the nights and evenings and weekends. That's all I was doing. So I'm like, how can I still be in movement and, and dance, but do something different? So I became a teacher. I was a high school teacher for, uh, for a number of years in dance and drama. And that's where I realized that I don't like to follow rules. <laughs> I don't like a system. <laughs> and teaching probably couldn't be anything more than a system. You know, a bell goes, you have to be somewhere the same days of the week. And that's where my entrepreneurial spirit really sort of shone. And I, I wanted to break, break loose. I am, I am a risky person. I like to challenge rules and, and safely, always safely, but that's where I decided to, um, to embark on starting my own business in 2006, seven, around there. I saw a kind of a crack in our new dance curriculum had come out in our province. I'm from Toronto, from Ontario. And they needed, there was no support to help teachers get kids moving and how to do it. So I created this company that would do that. And I had a, you know, a real good run of um, a number of years with a team of facilitators, and I ran my own business. And it was really, you know, there was a lot of highs and lows, but I had a lot of success. And I felt like I was really coming into my own. From there, at the sort of the peak of that Peace. I got pregnant. My my husband and I, my then husband, were, were divorced now. Um, had our beautiful son in 2012, and that's when everything came to a halt. And any moms that are listening to the show, you know, I never was ready for that. I mean, I don't. No one is. Like, no, I don't nice. think we can ever be ready. But I was rocked having the baby, and really about it's no longer about me. And I, I couldn't just be an only child, being a business owner being just my parents just always instilled in me. Anything is possible. You do what you, like not do what you want, but you can do it. Anything you put your mind to and just go for it. Well, you can't really do that as a mom because <laughs> this little specimen of a beautiful child is running the show. Um, so my business sort of took a backseat. Um, I also feel like I really lost my identity. I didn't know. Like I, I saw myself as a woman that inspires people on stages and, you know, has this persona. And then I sort of felt like I had to be really uh, vulnerable and and become a mom. And that that is like, that. I guess it scared me. It scared me because I didn't know what I was mm-hmm. doing. It wasn't in my wheelhouse at all. Uh, I immediately shifted into creating like a mom-baby dance program. So I was still like, still trying to find that girl on stage while still trying to be a mom. So I juggled those two things quite, it was kind of tough for me looking back um and now my son is 10 his name is James he's like the love of my life <laughs> and but I I I struggle with those early years and I my, my business and my identity I'm telling all this now I'll give the underbelly of sort of what was going on with 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 how I was escaping with these problems um from there um after having my son and then uh sort of felt, and I'm not sure if anybody else can relate to this, which I don't think is, is anything we should be doing is I wanted to lose the last bit of baby weight. So I wanted to like join a really hardcore workout program with a bunch of women that pushed me hard. I'm competitive by nature. So I was pushing hard, hard on my body, which I do not do anymore at all. It's like softer is better and gentle is better and doing what I need to do. But back then it was harder, faster, stronger, and i i had two injuries in both my hips so i tore both labrums in my hips oh no <laughs> and, yeah it was br- it was brutal and what no, i didn't I a, know we had is hockey
1: I, we had hockey players and one of them almost right? we thought we had, they had a torn labrum in their shoulder so i can understand oh, that so and I the tore pain them and, both. Yeah.
0: and i think my hips were a bit wonky from childbirth as well what i didn't know is i was born with undiagnosed hip dysplasia so i and i don't know if it was a product of me being adopted and not being Um, assessed properly as a baby. I should have had surgeries as a very wee infant. So Hmm. here I am with two torn labrums, arthritis kicks into both hips. And I call my birth mother because we have reunited. That could be a whole other podcast interview. (laughs) (laughs) I have an adoption reunion story. I called her and I said, does arthritis run in our family? I'm like, I'm only in my 40s here. She's like, oh man, it does. My aunt and my cousin uh, both have women in their 40s. Anyways, fast forward. I saw a surgeon, and within one year, I had double hip replacement. So I had mm. two titanium hips. That was a journey that I, again, though it was t- it was tough looking at what I went through, the the pain pre surgery, the surgery, the post surgery. But I was like, I'm a champ. I'm a I I can't I can't show that I'm in pain. I got this. That was my my, my mantra. I'm a star. I got this. Can't mm. let people in. So I finally healed from the surgeries. I'm now getting a lot of work on in the corporate space. So I'm speaking at, a, at uh, conventions. I have a, a whole year of travel booked in 2020. So my career mm-hmm. is taking off. I'm finally pain-free and we get the pandemic. So March, 2020, I from there, I swear Moira, there was like an, an email every day or two, canceling the event, pivoting to online, postponing to 2021, 22, 23, whatever they were gonna be. And it was devastating. Cause I was, uh, my work, what I've realized now in recovery, my work was for sure an escape mm-hmm. uh, for me, for me, from like the life of motherhood and my own mother was diagnosed with dementia in during the pandemic as well. Some cracks in my marriage that were not sort of investigated and not dealt with. Cause I was always off escaping to my work, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to share now that was my one escape. My second escape always was alcohol. So I was a big, a big party girl and it started when I was a teenager, you know, I was always one to find the party. I was always one to be the last one having the last drink and it was totally felt acceptable. I was in crowds that drank. I found people that drank like me. I grew up in a smaller sort of town where bush parties were where it started. It just, alcohol was acceptable. And I think you can agree. It is Mm -hmm. like, it's normalized. It's even like the mummies in the park wine groups were like, oh, I was wow, going to say, found, yeah, I found my people. <laughs>
1: I know. I mean, that's what the, that's. Yeah. They, the moms, it's all like glamorized and like there's t-shirts totally. that say, t-shirt. you know, mommy yeah. needs a cocktail or this is mommy's totally. I think my son, so, you know,
0: whatever, you know, I think my son had a, had a onesie that said my mommy's a wino or something. Like, we thought it was yeah. funny. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I was always ju- and then, you know, I was so, I'm a very social person. I was, I like my solitude a lot more now. I'm not as social. I think alcohol helped that. I can share a bit about that too. And um, I think when COVID hit, I couldn't escape to work, but I could escape and lean in hard to my second escape, which was alcohol. And mm-hmm. you know, that culture when COVID hit to, Oh, stock up on the wine, get your box of booze. We don't know if it's going to close. And like in Canada, our essential services, our liquor stores were open. I know. So that's also normalized. Hey, you know, we're going to keep the hospitals open and the, everything and the liquor stores. <laughs> so <laughs> it's I was like, this is made. Everyone's staying home and drinking. This is perfect. So again, it was sort of normalized in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. And then it wasn't fun anymore. Then it became, you know, my husband and I at that time that we realized together we're drinking too much. Let's stop around July. Well, I didn't want to stop. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know. I didn't want to because it was my escape. And then if I can look back at the last 20 years, it was always my escape. It was always the thing I did to take the quote edge off or to celebrate or to reward myself. It had all these um, roles in my life, mostly though um, with people. So it was a social, it became a, so it was always a social thing. Booze with, with people equaled a good time, equaled me escaping from the reality of my life at home, and during the pandemic it became an alone thing because i was we were alone we were isolated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know we lived in a condo all of our amenities were closed we li- i felt like i was in a little box in the sky and there was nowhere to go except into my glass of wine which mm-hmm. i could kind of check out um and then so he stopped in july and i didn't stop i that's when and that's when like when i hear active addiction and and what that cycle's like i can really relate to I had four months where I was in that active addiction cycle where I was, it was on my mind. I wanted it more than ever. I didn't know how to get it unless I lied or, or, you know, snuck, hiding, sneaking, all these things you read about. I used to read Mm -hmm. books and biographies of of, of people with alcoholism and think, oh, who does that? Like I did that.
1: Mm -hmm. I hid
0: wine. I hid went for walks and had drinks like this is really it's hard to share it I feel I know I've processed the shame around that but I really have but it was looking back I was I was not well I was I was sick I was not I was not myself I was I feel for her
1: thank you for being vulnerable and all of that but I also don't think that that's that's why I wanted you to share that because I don't think that's so unusual. There are so many that are escaping to something, you know, escaping to, mm-hmm. you said, their job or they're just, and they're not maybe even thinking about it. Hey, I'm just going to go for a walk with my girlfriend. Let's just have a glass of wine when we do that or have a drink. It's not a big deal, but then sometimes it's not a big deal. And sometimes it really is it, you know, when you stop to think about it. And I, even that whole work thing, like I love my, um, you know, I love my business, my wellness business, who we talked about a little bit before, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, not to the same extent, but I can understand that. I mean, I love to, I love to have um, my business. And when I had when our daughter was really deep in her struggle and in and out of and stuff like that. Like I love the fact that I could escape to my business and help other people and help Mm -hmm. them set goals and, and accomplish goals and things like that. But I also like when this whole like, same thing, you know, March, 2020, like all of a sudden everything stopped. And I was thankful because this podcast was born during that time. And um, people were home. And so I was able to contact people and say, come on, take a little bit of time. Yes. But I also was really evaluating my business because I love it. And, but it was also like, what am I working for? Mm-hmm. I've always loved to work for the trips. And like, as I help people, then I can get my goals. And I always had that goals of travel and, you know, recognition and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's all gone. Like, what am I really doing this yes. for? And I think, again, many of us, we talked about it, like the pandemic. Brought some good stuff out, some bad stuff out, but just a lot, a lot up to the surface. I like to say yes. so that we could look at that and then say, okay, what's going, like, what's going on here? What's really going on?
0: Yeah. I never got curious. I was never curious about that. I was too busy, right? like living a very chaotic life. And I definitely had like a sense of FOMO always. I didn't want to miss out on anything, mm-hmm. any party or anything going on because I didn't like, truly, I didn't want to be alone by myself. I didn't want to sit with myself mm-hmm. because I knew there were things that I wasn't truly happy right. with and right. changes that were big changes that I had to make that I didn't think were possible. So it was easier just to say, yes, I'll be there. And yes, I'll have a bottle of wine.
1: Right. And I think that that's a really important point is that that's what many times we do collectively, you know, the quotes we do is that we're staying so busy because we don't want to sit with and feel the feels. No. I heard that from my daughter. We've heard that in, in, you know, support groups and things like that. We don't want to. So it's just easier to be busy, to do other things, because if we're quiet, if we sit, if no one's around us, then like we got to deal with what's going on.
0: (laughs) And that that came up a lot in it really stuck with me. And so I I went to a, a treatment center. So I actually surrendered with the love of my close, dear girlfriends who knew something was terribly I was going down a bad path. And they were afraid of of actually having a bottom, like I didn't have like a rock bottom, low bottom, whatever, but I was on my way and they kind of intervened along with my husband's support. And I I surrendered. It was really hard to surrender. I was not, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. I was, I was like, fine. Yes, I will go. So I went to a treatment center and and just bringing back to the feelings thing you just said, what they, what I remember learning there was we just want to change the way we feel. That's why we online shop or eat or work or drink or drug or whatever. We just want to change. We don't want to be in our feeling, our current feeling of anger, worry, disgust, sadness, whatever it is. And that helps just take it away. Just take it away Mm -hmm. with uh, another purchase or another cookie or another glass of wine. Mm -hmm. So I learned that. So yeah, so I spent 30 days in treatment. And really, that was um, something I never thought in my life I'd ever go to, quote, rehab. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like to say treatment. It sounds a little more, a little more glamorous. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And while there, you know, it was a 30-day removal from my life and really a chance to be alone. As, you know, as an only child with family everywhere, I always wanted to be around people. I really didn't want to be alone. I was just... Mm. That's just kind of who I am. I'm quite different now, <laughs> but there I am alone in this beautiful area of Canada called Muskoka at this gorgeous treatment center where we had, it was, it was quite luxurious. and I feel so grateful where I got to be alone and actually work on myself and have a month of discovery and be away from the substance. Wine and drinks were not available. I mm. needed that. I needed that in my life. Um, and then I, I came out of treatment at Christmas. And what I did realize while in treatment that my, Um, my marriage was, was not, you know, not where it should have been in terms of us staying together as a team forever. And we amicably separated. And right after I came out of treatment Um, and we have a great co-parenting relationship with our son now, and it's actually been, it's been beautiful, but I was afraid to make those changes or even communicate those feelings for all the years and drinking just took those feelings away. Mm -hmm. um so then yeah i uh i've been in recovery um since then and what i didn't do though my more after i came out was i my little star in me my little you know i've got this captain recovery i didn't work a program so i did not enter a 12-step program i thought i could do it on my own i didn't really let people in i was still not um i wasn't ready to like share when things were not going well. And it was a totally new life for me, not drinking. Like mm. I was, Now, mind you, COVID was there too. So there were, things were not open, which was helpful right. getting sober during COVID. But that led to me relapsing last summer. So I, I thought mm. I could drink normally again. I gave it a try. <laughs> we all hear mm. about how relapses work. You know, I, right. it was fascinating to me when I went back. I went back to the treatment center for 10 days on my own accord, drove myself there, paid for it, and really did it for me to get reset. And while I was there, my recovery coach said, When did you pick up your first drink? And I said, June second. And he goes, Okay, so that's the end of the relapse. Tell me about the month that happened before. Hmm. And I, I was like, whoa. And a lot did happen in May. I I did, I was off my routines. I wasn't journaling as much. I wasn't moving as much. I was sleeping in a bit more. I was, it was things were just off. I, I was off my my program mm-hmm. my own little personal program, which didn't work at the end. And so then after I left that ten days, um, I will be celebrating one year sobriety next Wednesday.
1: Yeah, congratulations.
0: And yeah. thank you. And in a program and um, the twelve steps have been just a beautiful design for life that I've discovered and letting people in and just like literally changing a change of life. My life is totally different mm-hmm. and it ever was well, before.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that um, and yeah, congratulations to you for sticking with that. And again, we know that it's one day at a time and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one situation at a time and things like that. And, you know, and I think and I talk about this just in my own life and, you know, having those routines, like the things that we establish that keep us on, you know, On course, if you will. And um, Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about that. Like if there are certain because I know I have a morning routine, although um I haven't done all of it yet because I was like (laughs) up and then we're here. And so I put some of that aside, but just having that morning routine, at least for me, it's getting up and it's going outside and listening to the birds and doing my reading and journaling and gratitude and a little bit of meditation, whatever you know I have Mm -hmm. time for, but that sets my day up for you know, something like a, a great day, as opposed to mm-hmm. not. And, um you know, and it's, I think regardless if you're in your recovery, or I mean, I think everybody's recovering from something, or everybody's dealing
0: with something. That's how I feel, too. I always, I always say that everybody's been ready to recovery. somehow. and I've learned more about recovery actually is the depth of it. Everybody is in recovery, or should get curious about how they can be in recovery from something. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and I
1: also feel like with what you said earlier, like, I love the morning routine because it's, it is that time to be quiet and with myself and like, what am I thinking about and what am I feeling? And like, just getting okay and real with that and and setting space for that Mm -hmm. time for that. So that again, just to, you know, as we, as I can listen to like what I need or what I'm grateful for, then I can take care of myself. And I've learned that taking care of ourselves at the beginning of the day or, you know, whenever you find time for it, got to take care of ourselves first so that we can then show up best for, you know, whatever we're doing. If it's our job, it's for our child, for our family, for whatever it is. But that's not the way it always is with, or seen like when you're a mom. You know, for mm-hmm. instance, or an entrepreneur or a business owner or whatever, it's like we just take care of them and all of that first. Right. Yes. And then before you know it, like, what about us? But That's it's exactly. like, we've got to take care of ourselves um, first. So what have you found has been the most helpful for you to kind of besides the, twelve, you know, again, the 12 step programs are so good as a place to just feel like you're not alone. I mean, I've done that exactly for Al-Anon and, you know, my own support there and, um, talked with many on this podcast about the 12 step programs. Um, mm-hmm. but what have you found yourself along with that has been helpful?
0: Yeah, that's I, what you said, the morning routine, all the things you mentioned, the journaling, the gratitude, the meditation, all that stuff I, is something I practice. And yeah, just with the 12 steps too. um, I've never been around such non-judgmental people in the rooms the rooms of you know alcoholics anonymous. I just you can say anything and you're supported. Like this is huge for me. It was huge for me and being vulnerable and sharing all the deep shame things like oh yeah, no big deal. And they don't they don't try to story top you. They just go okay. I and then they share there it's just okay. Mm-hmm. It, anyway, yeah. that's a side, side note. Um, so I think what, what I, the last 18 months, even though I did have that relapse piece in there, I do say I'm in recovery for 18 months because it did, the journey did start when I left, um, the treatment center. Mm-hmm. So the last 18 months, what I've, and this is the, this was the birth of breath and fire, which is my, what, what came of it. So I had it, my business running before was mostly movement focused, a little bit of meditation, but it was wellness focused as well. And there I was, you know, on stages talking about wellness, while knowing deep in the pit of my gut that I was struggling with alcohol. And that just didn't feel right. It, I, you know, I either was maybe a little hungover on stage or waiting to go to the hotel lobby bar at the hotel I was presenting at to have another drink to award myself for the job I had done. So alcohol was so part of that prior life. Um, so Breath and Fire, what it it was birthed out of my routines because when I think of breath, it's the calming, the grounding, the pieces for me, like meditation, nature, um, resting. I never rested before. I, I I napped when I was, you know, probably hungover and when I needed a nap to get on with the day, <laughs> but I never rested this power of just resting and like, you don't have to close your eyes or not, but just rest movement for me can be the breath piece as well, but that's the calming stuff, the journaling, the things that bring me in and ground me. And then the fire is when I know I need people and socialization and hobbies and activities and moving my body and getting on a phone call. Like that's the fire. So what I was finding in in recovery, what I find is that throughout my day, it's a routine of breath and fire and being really aware, consciously aware of when I need either. So if I've been in a social crowd, I, it's like, I have this, and I never had this voice. I'd be like, you're done. You're done. Go home be quiet, be by yourself, go for a walk along the water, sit and rest, meditate, listen to your favorite song, have the breath moment. And then if I've been doing too much breath of solitude, working, maybe doing a you know, day of admin, I know I need fire. I know I need to do something that's going to ignite me and find my passion in my soul again. So what I, what I, you know, sort of inspire people to do is weave in breath and fire throughout their day and be aware of it, the awareness piece, right? But, um, my morning routine is I get up so super early with the birds. Doesn't matter what time you put me to bed. I'm up early. So sleep is one, one piece of my self-care that I do. I do struggle with it. I don't get enough sleep. And I know how you know sleep is medicine. And I, I, when I'm up at five 30, I'm like giddy for the day. And I've never been like that. I would just be like roll over covers over my head, mm-hmm. but I'm actually excited to start the day. And that will include like lighting a candle, putting music on, uh, and I don't have a certain order. In early recovery, I was extremely stringent with my routine, and I was, I was afraid to break it. I started in, in the treatment center. I started doing, you know, light the candle, <laughs> put the music on, do the, you know, what am I grateful for? How do I feel today? What would make today great? Say the serenity prayer, and then get up and do some yoga. And if I didn't follow those steps, I got kind of nervous that I was going to me- mess up my recovery. I'm much more lax with that now. So if I don't feel like doing a 20 minute meditation at 6am and I I just know I'm going to do it at some point in the day, I have a different trust in myself that if Mm -hmm. I don't feel like doing my, my movement flow, which includes some, you know, dancing around uh, some strengthening, some stretching, some yoga, I'm a yoga teacher and dance professional teacher for uh, decades. So I make my own flow up, which I just call breath and fire. And I do that, but if I don't feel like doing it at 7am, I'm okay. I'll do it like on the beach later today, but I know I'm going to do it. And that has evolved with, with just trusting myself, but the morning piece, the quiet time, the me time, especially when I have my son, cause we share him 50, 50, the mornings, I have him. I know I have two hours to myself in the morning and when, and it's amazing more like he even feels it. So when he comes out in the morning, there's a nice ambiance, there's music playing, mommy's journaling, or just sitting there, you know, doing something, reading. And he's calmer. Like, Good morning, as opposed to me. Get up, get late. You're gonna be late. I'm making your lunch. Get your dread. Like that is chaos. We don't want that for our children mm-hmm. to start their day that way. So I feel like he's feeling it too. And mm-hmm. mom is in a, a different place in the morning. and Then I'm ready for my day. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and a great example to him that you know, he's seeing that and I feel like we're very, very similar because I, you know, feel like I'm. Yeah. I love to be around people for sure, and I'm much more of an extrovert than my husband, and all of that, and I love that. But I have learned that. I mean, just when you said that, I'm like, yep, I get it because I love yep. to be. But then there's some days I'm like, okay, like you said, I've had enough, and I'm gonna spend some time here, and I have to be careful myself to not spend too much time in that quiet and solitude. I get a little melancholy sometimes and I can kind of, yeah. you know, and that like during the pandemic, that wasn't helpful for me. Cause I'm like, I got to get out because like we were forced to be in and to mm-hmm. be closed and like have this quiet time. I'm like enough of the quiet time. I made mean, a couple of my girlfriends and I <laughs> were like, okay, we'll walk. I mean, we don't have to stand close to each other, but we have to get, I got to see people. I got to be around yes. people. So we kind of like walked on the side streets of the next house, so no one would see. Yeah, me. we did. We
0: did. I did the same thing. Yeah,
1: we didn't want to get in trouble or have
0: anybody Basic, stay six feet. Say stay away. Don't talk to me. Say Put your mask on. <laughs> yeah. When I think about too the when you mentioned the social piece, like I was always, like I said, out there socializing. Like you can um, understand, but I didn't. I didn't want to go. I didn't want. To, I didn't know have that voice to tell me to leave. Like I would just stay, and even if I wasn't even interested in the crowd I was with. The booze made it tolerable to be there longer, mm. to not go home and be with myself. So mm. alcohol is connected to all those decisions around being too social. Because I'm not, I'm not that. I make very conscious decisions now who I spend my time with, and and how long I'm going to be there. And I, my life is socially changed for the better. I've done enough, Mm -hmm. you know, partying and social groups for a lifetime Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my prior life, but it really, it's where I want to be, where I want, like the people I want to be around Mm -hmm. and the time I want to be there for.
1: Right. Well, and I think, I am hopefully people are hearing that it's okay to have that type of, it's okay to say, you know what, I've had enough and I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go home. And, um, and take some time for myself or go to bed earlier. Again, I struggle with the same thing about sleep. I don't get enough, Um, enough, but yeah, yeah. but it's, but I just, you saying that, and I listening to you um, hope this is okay for my brother, for me to say this, but um, (laughs) my, my, well, my, our, our mother um, died uh, April of last year. And, um, and my, I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And my brother was just in town in June, because one of our sisters, um, got married, uh, and, um, we were together for the celebration. And he talked about how he, he just kind of said off the cuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore. I quit drinking. And, um, and we're like, okay, whatever. And this is a guy that kind of like, you know, he drank, he lives in Colorado, but he also just kind of like, kind of went to the extremes with, and I again, won't tell his whole story, but you know, concerts all the time and raging and like all this partying and stuff like that. And, um, whatever, whatever he wants to do. But so I was kind of like surprised in the back of my mind. I'm like, Oh, he drink it. I wonder about that. Or what if he's quit all this other stuff too. And when he was here, we had a really lovely, um, conversation about, well, it kind of started by my husband saying, you know what? Because all of our family was here and my dad and the new and Chuck, the new husband and stuff. And he's like, wow, that like your family, like it's different, like the vibe is different. And I'm like, he goes, I don't know, it's just like really chill. Like, and you know, again, my mother was a great, great woman, but she just was very kind of like she was very dominating and kind of like her thoughts and her thoughts and like, we got to do that and okay. And come on. it's just because it my mom was very, you know, a lot of strong energy there. And she's not here. And, and I was like, okay, maybe. And I'm kind of like thinking about that. And then I, I brought that up to my brother um, when we were sitting outside one night. And he says, Yeah, you know what happened? He said, after my mother kind of were going off a tangent, but I think this is very relevant, is that after my mom died, he went back home to Colorado. And then he went, he just went, he took some time off and he just went driving with his dog and he camped and he went and saw some friends for like probably three weeks. And he said, you know, where I was sitting outside, like in nature and stuff. And I felt like this weight of kind of the world was just coming off of me. And, you know, part of, and he said, it was a lot, that judgment of mom, like mom wasn't around. And, you know, I just felt like, he said, I was always afraid to kind of be me or like, would my mother love me again? I'm telling his story, but this is what I remember. But, you know, my would mom really love me if she knew, you know, the true me? You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. It was very, mm-hmm. very vulnerable. And it was the first time he'd ever really shared that. But he said, I just felt like like that was going. That was like gone. And like." And he said, then I really evaluated, like, why was I mm-hmm. drinking? Why was I doing this? Why was I doing all this extreme stuff? You know, it's kind of like you want somebody to love you. And so instead of like cleaning up your act, saying, hey, you should love me. Like he was going, it was like in my mind, he was going to the extreme. Right. But he said, I realized that I didn't need that stuff anymore. And he goes, I just was like, he goes, I just don't. So he goes, I just quit. I quit drinking. I quit. Mm-hmm. And he said, I go to concerts because I still love music and I love to be around. But he goes, I find myself going home. I'm like, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go home.
0: And yeah, it's like, it just weirdness. made me think it's of great. that. It's like yeah. that
1: awareness. Like he goes, I don't need those things to like, whatever it was doing for him. And a lot of it was really distracting and a lot of like, yeah. again, related to the way that he felt about my mother and the mother's my mother's control over him and all of that. And um, mm-hmm. it's like, he just, I goes I, he goes, I don't, I don't need it anymore. And you said, and I just, I was so like, I'm happy for him. It was just like, wow, Todd nice. like what yeah. a wonderful, cause now you have this freedom of your life.
0: Yes. I feel liberated again. I feel like I'm not, liberation is a total word. I feel that it's, I don't, I'm not tied to the chains of is the booze going to be there? Will there be enough? Like, that those, those thoughts that were always in my mind, will there be alcohol served? Or I hope, I hope there is, or I don't really want to go like, hi now, if I don't want to go, I just don't go.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, you
0: know, it's, uh, it's interesting. You said the mother piece too. Um, again, this could be another whole segment. Uh, so my mother is, is, has dementia and is, is still alive. She's 88. She's in, she got into nursing home um, August of 2020. So, I'm not sure if there's a connection. I should get curious about this of her being like, she's not, she's, uh, she's here, but she's not here. She does not know Mm -hmm. who I am. And, you know, it's really tough, tough to see. She's kind of a child again, but she doesn't have, I think her control over me might've been part of my drinking as well. Like her, Mm -hmm. me wanting to always please her and be the star and keep busy and not show any vulnerability or any, um, any failures. And now she doesn't know, she doesn't know I'm in recovery. She doesn't know I'm divorced She like because she, she doesn't know what's going mm-hmm. on. So perhaps there's something connected there. You just made me think of that. I'm going to get curious about that. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 And I don't, I'm not sure that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really interesting um, thing. And again, for him, it was just kind of like, I think it just kind of like, wow, Again. Oh, yeah,
0: that really, that's a huge, like. like was, that, that's, I mean, that's what they call like a spiritual awakening, <laughs> in mm-hmm, a way, yeah. like in the 12, in the 12 steps, like that was my after, like July 21 of 2021. So last coming up, I woke up and went, I'm done. I'm done with it all. And I really mel- meant it. I don't know where that came from. But that's where i That was my first true, like spiritual experience. And mm-hmm. in, in just like I knew I was done. And I can't yeah. describe how or why And I had no trouble. I have the obsession for it gone. Because I was willing to do the work to get deeper into why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, they call it like an iceberg, like the substances or all the things we do is like the tip that everyone sees. You remove that tip, there's a whole other iceberg under the water Mm -hmm. of the mental health and the childhood trauma and all the stuff. Why Mm -hmm. we were doing that, the substances, the shopping, the eating, whatever, the work. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's the real work that comes up every day. It always never stops.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, and I'll just leave it at that. Like for people that are listening, like listen to those little spiritual things. Like, again, my brother being out there going like, wow, this mm-hmm. is like, again, being quiet enough and, in and, and slow down enough to sometimes, you know, just hear that, or like that's coming, waking up that day. And I tell the story, um, to, um, again, it it's again, a conversation for another time, but a couple, uh, but, uh, but a few years ago, um, I had two instances about 30 days apart from each other where, um, and I wasn't really into this whole spirituality and like intuition and all that kind of stuff. With my daughter, I visited a little shop that we were, you know, kind of a spiritual shop and a little Indian couple owned it and getting some mala beads and incense and all that kind of stuff. And she did a, she did an she read our astrological charts and which I knew Mm. nothing about. I'm like, whatever. And so I listened to her talk about my daughter and I was like, wow, or like read her chart. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So she read my chart. And again, long story, but one of it, uh, she told me that I should go see my mother and spend some time with my mother. And uh, she lived in the next town over. So I'm like, okay. And she was not bad. Just go be of service to your mom, be with your mother. About 30 days later, my girlfriend invited me to a salt room that we have here in the next town over and um, for some energy clearing no idea Me. what it was. I mean, I know what it is. I now, love this stuff. At that point I, I was <laughs> like, I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but I could use some new energy because things were sure. pretty rough, yeah. rough around here. Things were getting pretty chaotic with, with our daughter and and her struggles. And I was like, okay. Mm. And so the intuitive that did the reading with us, um, when she came to mind, and she's like, Oh, your shock was this blah, blah, blah. And she goes, is your mom still alive? And I was like, yes. She goes, you just need to go see your mom. You need to go visit wow. your mom. And I was like, I mean, within 30 days of each other. And, um, and I did some, uh, I got back in touch with this intuitive and I spent some time with her. I did some coaching with her and she brought up often, like, have you seen your mother? I'm like, I don't really have that relationship with her. Like she's a good mom, you know, but I wasn't that, I mean, I'm close to her, but still that guarded because she's so mm-hmm. judgmental and all this history and stuff. But, <clears throat> but I did keep that in mind for the next several years. Cause she said, I said, is she going to die? And she said, and I just reminded me, and I brought this up because of what you said about your mother. She said she's going to be around, but she's really not going to be in the same state. And so you just need to go be with her. And, and, and sure enough, she, you know, struggled with some diagnosis and, and, finally um, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's and a little bit of, you know, dementia and stuff like that, but mostly the Parkinson's and she wasn't from then on, she really wasn't who she used to be. And she just, Mm -hmm. you know, started to decline and needed more help. And, and I just kept that in mind that when I was with her, I just was like, okay, mom, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, mom? And that was a different feeling. Yeah. Relationship. And, and I just, just started to forgive all of that stuff in the past so that I could just kind of let that go. And it really helped it end well with my mother, you know, and just that, you know, and again, not, you know, in a similar way that like, it just, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I don't want to be like burdened down with all of that. Well, remember when mom did this, remember when mom did it. It's like that burden of like, All of that stuff, Mm -hmm. and I just was slowly over the next probably four years able to kind of just get rid of that,
0: yeah, and clear it, and be with my
1: mother to the point that there was one time. I mean, it's a simple thing, but I'll never forget. She asked me to cut her toenails. Like I was Mm -hmm. sitting there, like clipping her toenails, like crying, going, "She's never really. I've never been this in this service role with
0: my mother Mm -hmm. because my mom took
1: care of everything. Of course, yeah, you know." And when you so, say the word
0: servant, I like how you actually said, go, go with, be with your mom, be of service to her. That really resonates with me. I like that word service. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah to, I bring that up to just for, you know, for whatever you can hear from that, whoever is listening, but also <laughs> that, like those spiritual things that come, you know, yes. those times that, again, it comes when we slow down, when we are quiet, when we're out in nature. We can hear those things or get those ideas or whatever. Because I did, even though I, wasn't really in touch with that intuitive after, you know, a couple of years, I haven't really seen her, but I texted her when my mom was home in hospice. And I said, thank you. I said, thank mm-hmm. you for giving me that. Cause you gave me a gift. And so did that little Indian lady in that shop in Colorado. She gave me a gift of like, go be with your mother because she's not oh, going to be beautiful. here for long, yeah. you know, and we can get rid of that stuff, you know, it again i think the message is get rid of that stuff forgive them forgive ourselves so mm-hmm. that we can you know so things can end well but also so that we can really be our authentic you know our authentic yeah, exactly. selves authentic selves and you that know? that's
0: what the true message of my recovery is that authenticity is like i'm i'm, I'm that girl again at mm-hmm. 24 on the cruise ship i'm old, older <laughs> obviously older yeah. body and wiser. wiser and full of way more wisdom and experiences under my under my past, but I, I do have that. Anything is possible once again in life, which is, I it's like, you want to call it a midnight crisis? No, it's a midlife, um, realization mm-hmm. and, that, Yeah, and, it's and almost I, an like, awakening. You it's know? in a way it is in a way it is truly an awakening and we're not too old and it's never too late to make these changes. Right. You can be, I met people in recovery that are, you know, 70 getting sober and it's not too late. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, right. it's this time, it, but it, it's been a profound change in my entire life. Yeah. You know?
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great. I know there's a reason why we why uh, yeah. we got together because again, I love Absolutely. this story. And we have a lot of similarities with this. And again, I hope that others can hear that. You know, there is that that chance and that possibility again of getting rid of those things that just don't serve us so that we so we can really be okay with our authentic selves. Because sure. I, I seem to yep. say the same things. Like life is worth living. It's never too late to start taking care of yourselves or just. Being who you, God created us to be,
0: exactly, know, and, and it does come with awareness. It, that is step one. That is step one is being aware and getting looking at different areas. I like think in my homecoming program, I have the three week program. I have the first week is awareness, then acceptance, then action. And it's just small little things that oh, I never thought about. Like, am I really happy where I live? Can I make a change? Or my or my you know relationship with my siblings? Or they're just small things that it's just complete awareness, but we don't take the time to do it. Mm-hmm. unless you are an avid you know journaler or reflector but a lot of most of us aren't mm-hmm. so yeah so that's what i challenge people to sort of do
1: yeah and where can they find you um yeah for if sure they wanna... uh, so
0: uh website is breathandfire.com and you can be anywhere you know in the world to do my three week program it is virtual we do it on zoom i, I even though i was like oh covid zoom it now has had me reach people from all across you know north america can be in the program and um, so breathandfire.com or on Instagram, Michelle underscore breath and fire. And yeah, it's time to, you know, yeah, I like to say your inner flame has not gone out because that's mm-hmm. what I felt like. I, I was either on a pilot light, especially during COVID or for 25 years, I was a blazing inferno. So now mm-hmm. I've found that controlled blaze and we all have that flame inside of us. And some people it's on a pilot light and it's not out and I can help you find it mm-hmm. at least find the spark a
1: little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to, unless you have any final words, I think that's a great, no, that's um, a great way to end. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we have a lot more.
0: I feel like we have more to talk about though. We might be a part two in in our future.
1: (laughs) I think so. Yeah. But thank you, Michelle. Again, I'm just thankful for the universe for bringing us together. Cause again, I think this is great message. There's wonderful messages on my podcast, but this again, so appropriate for this time where again, the pandemic has uh, brought forth a lot of, of interesting things for many of us. So um, I appreciate you sharing this and um, again, some great messages and to all my listeners, again, continue to share these podcasts. And um, if you want to reach out to Michelle, again, find her where she is so that she can help you. I love that kind of, we don't have to live on a pilot light, right? We can uh, know when to turn the flame up and to really pull it down to, I think it's really wonderful. Uh So again, thanks for being here, Michelle. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Catch you next time on the podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review, share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for juggling the chaos of recovery podcast tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share a story of recovery and hope, please let me know, as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts, and perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded collaborative and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.